Okay, so let's start our interview. Can you please tell me first your name, your age, and what you were convicted of? Well, everything. <laughs> Maybe the most recent, if it's uh, going to take you quite a while to list all the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so... Um, okay, my name is Marvin Edward Herbert. I'm 48 years of age, and I've been convicted of... Possession of a firearm with the intent to danger life. Possession with a firearm to commit murder. Um, robbery. Um, possession with the intent to supply drugs to a prison. Um, possession. Robbery. Before the robbery. It was possession with a possession with the intent to endanger life again. Um, convictions, 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 convictions. Right, so I've been nicked for an armed robbery on a security van. I've been nicked for possession of a Mac 10 um, firearm with a silencer on it. I've been nicked for street robbery. I've been nicked for burglary. I've been nicked for assault, GBH attempted murder, conspiracy to murder. Um, no, I haven't been convicted of the murders. I've been under investigation and arrested, pending investigation for a year, six months. Um, I went to court on a couple of the occasions and got found not guilty. And then the others was no further action. Um, but I've basically been arrested for everything but murder um i've been arrested for conspiracy to murder and attempted murder but never for murder um armed robbery robbery burglary theft gbh um abh common assault possession of offensive weapon possession of drugs um and absconding so that's the convictions and arrests and that's minimalised because I've been around, I've been convicted, for, I think for sixty-seven offences, but I will be here all day. But I went into all of them. But I started from car stereos and worked my way up to armed robbery, conspiracy, and murders, and drug dealing. Right. I was going to ask you uh, what your sentence was for those convictions, but it might be a better answer, a better question to ask: How much time have you served in prison? In prison, totally, I'd say 11 years, 11 or 12 years, I think. Around about, between 11 and 13 years in total, that's with six months, eight months, nine months, because the time in prison is the remand times as well. A lot of people don't sort of keep them in their minds. They just focus on the convictions, but every time I've been arrested and gone to prison, it hasn't always been ended in a conviction, but I've spent a year in custody. I've spent 18 months in custody, and then I've got a five-year sentence, a five-and-a-half-year sentence. Um, I've got a 23-year sentence, but it was all concurrent. So all in total, I've actually served around between 11 and 13 years. I've never, ever, I've never actually gone back and tried to calculate the exact amount of days I've spent in prison, but way too much for my liking right do you remember what your first conviction was 
Yes. Criminal damage. Okay. What about your very latest one? What was your latest charge? The latest conviction was possession of a firearm, which was, I got convicted of that this year, believe it or not. Crazy. Was it this year? It was either this year or last year. Last year. Basically, when I got, arre I got arrested for um, conspiracy to murder in 2015, the charges got dropped down to assisting an offender because they extradited me from Spain for four murders. And then basically they used that information to manipulate the judicial system in Spain to extradite me. And then when they extradited me, they dropped the charge from murder to assisting an offender because the evidence never or couldn't prove that I was initiated the murders. But I wasn't involved in it from the start to the finish. But they tried to assure, their assumptions were that I got somebody to kill somebody and then that person went on to kill two police officers after. But it came to light throughout the trial that it was a malicious prosecution and I never got people to do anything. In fact, the people that done, who was the perpetrators in that crime, they and their boss was my enemy, and that will come out through intelligence in the case because their boss um, sort of had me over for a large amount of money, and it come out in the trial, and that's why I got acquitted and released. Can you, for people who have never been to prison, give us a bit of a, paint us a picture of what it was like going into the prison system and what kind of people were around you? What was the environment like in prison for you? Well, from my perspective, um, and I can only be honest with you, right? Um, the mindset I had back then, and this isn't long ago, this was like eight years ago. This is the mindset I used to have. Basically, I embraced it because I, I believe now that I was actually insane. But going into prison is, is, first and foremost, it's intimidating. So you walk through the door and everybody's an enemy. So you've either got to fight or flight. I took the options to fight anything and anybody that came in my way. So I, I dealt with the trauma of going to prison by creating trauma and by being aggressive and violent. But I wouldn't advise anybody to do that. But it's, it's a very daunting experience. You've got no help. You've got no phone. You've got no friends. You've got no family with you. You've got no opportunity to go to the shop. You, got, you can't do what you want to do. And then you're thrown in a cell with somebody you don't know. And then you wake up on the, in the morning, walk onto the landing, and there's three, 400 people that you don't know. And until you see a friendly face, you're in fear. In, and I don't care who you are, yeah? Uh, the fear is there. And it's the fear of actually defending yourself and getting arrested, getting hurt, being having more added to your sentence is that it's just constant constant fear fear of everything and it's how you deal with that fear will determine how you get through your sentence you know but the first thing i experienced when i walked into prison was fear and every sentence i had that same feeling presented itself every time i got to a new jail now the fear of entering prison is bad enough but then you've got the fear of entering other prisons where you may have enemies or people that don't like the people that you know so the first experience i i and i believe millions of others feel is fear 
you know, and intimidation. That is it. And, and then it's just fear and intimidation every day. And that's what the kind of, prison. Sorry, go ahead. And that's the reality. What, what kind of characters were there surrounding you in the prison? What kind of other prisoners were there with you? Well, it's, it's just, it is, it is uh, a mirrored. I like to use that as a new 2019 word that I learned, a mirrored, which is many different types and many different characters from every walk of life. And then you've got the worst, the sickest, the, the meanest, and the most violent. And they're all there. Like, you might have one of the most violent people in the country on your wing. He might not say a lot, but he's there. You might have the sickest nonce on your wing. He might not say anything, but he's there. The most sociopathic mindsets and people are there. And you're in it. You're in it. That's it. You're just in it. So everybody from every walk of life is there. You've got millionaires. You've got bums. You've got beggars. You've got junkies. You've got robbers. You've got thieves. You've got pickpockets. You've got burglars. So you've got all the reprobates that society has to offer under one roof at any given time of the day. In your experience, what are the most common reasons that people turn to crime in the first place? Survival and drugs. That's it, in my opinion. And like, I, 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 got, in, I got into crime to feed myself, feed my brothers. Oops. I apologize. So I got into crime to feed my brothers to feed Hang on, let's girl. just, sorry, let's start that again, just because the phone rang. So, um, yeah. So, in your opinion, uh, what are some of the most common reasons that people turn to crime in the first place? Survival. I can't remember what I said now. People turn to crime for survival, really. And that's it. I've said something else, it's gone, because I, I, I work in a, a flux. So as you asked me- It question, was survival and drugs. That's it, that's it, that's it, excellent. Okay, let's go again, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Um, in your experience, what are some of the most common reasons that people turn to crime? Survival and drugs. And that's it, really. That's all I've ever noticed when I go to prison. And it's, you've got egos and materialistic acquisitions in people in their minds that so they want to survive like myself better than I was better than I was used to and I wanted more than I could than I've ever experienced so for me it was a survival thing I got into crime to survive to feed my brothers my cousins my sisters my brothers even my mum my dad was his own entity and then when I went to prison I noticed that there's a high volume of people that are addicted to drugs and then they do all the the sort of petty crimes and the the sort of crimes that people that are desperate commit, you know? Well, it's all desperation. So desperation, survival and drugs is uh, mainly. Do you, think that, do you think that that's an indication that society is not doing enough to help people from disadvantaged backgrounds? 100%. And I can add to that, right? Because growing up, as a kid, and this is what I mean about society, the government, the establishment, like what they represent and what they actually do. So imagine me, right? I was a mixed race kid brought up in a racist environment, brought up in a drug fueled household with lots of violence. 
Um, my mum was a, a prostitute. My dad was a drug dealer. I was smoking crack by the age of 13, heroin by the age of 14. I had a heroin habit and a crack habit by the time I was 15. And I stopped taking it by the time I was 17 because I wanted a change. But through my adolescent childhood, I got taken off my mum for being an uncontrollable child. And I got put into care. I got put into a secure unit and then got put into care. Um, and the long and short of the, the system was I was too much to handle for the system that they paid me to go home while I was under a court order. I got manipulated in leaving school a year, 18 months earlier than necessary with qualifications that I got given. I didn't even have to sit in exams. So I was given qualifications to leave school and then I was paid expenses not to be in the care home, to go back to my parents. So. I'm not blaming society for letting go of me because I was just a bad influence on any young kid in my environment. And when I was in the children's homes and when I was in school, I was hard at it. I was committing crime to the highest level as a kid. At 13 years of age, I was nicking thousands of pounds a week in the 80s, which was a hell of a lot of money. So I was just influencing everybody with the worst kind of attributes in school and in the kids' homes. So to save the other kids, they actually got rid of me so I was part of the society as a lost cause. And I'm not, I wasn't alone, you know, I wasn't the only lunatic kid. And when I look back now, all I needed was a little bit of love and attention. Because that was all I craved, was just being noticed as a kid. So the system, failed me by letting me go because I was too uncontrollable. And I never had anybody to relate to within the system. There was a couple of people, Charlie Scott and Barry Mallon, and they was like my care workers in school. And they was, they'd done everything they could to keep me on the right path. But because the yearning and the need to fit in and be accepted was far greater than achievements in school, I was just dragged into that world and just enjoyed it and loved it. And it's painful now because of what I had to go through and the worth and the value in what I've done as a man, it's a nothing. So it hurts that I lost so much by committing so much to that world. And I can't blame anybody but myself, but all I needed was a little bit of love and attention as a kid growing up. And the reason why I do what I do now is because I know what these kids need and want. So I feel it sort of appropriate for me to do what I do because I find it easy to engage because there ain't many kids from the road and from the street that have actually been through what I've been through. Now, some of them pretend they've been through it, but most of the gang members from the decent homes, they've got food every day. Their mum's in at home, their dad's at home. Like, their mum and dads are at home. Like, no matter what, they've got a stable environment where someone goes to work and pays the bills. Someone looks after the family, puts a dinner on the table every night. But in my house, that wasn't the case. So I've done things because I felt I had to do things rather than wanting to do things, you know? So, yeah. Sorry for that little rant. No, thank you. That's very, very good of you to share with us. Um, speaking about 
younger generations nowadays, do you feel like social media kind of makes it easier for children to be targets of gangs and criminals and to influence them to be a part of criminal violence? Um, yes and no. Right? Yes and no. Um, it is, how could you put it? It's like having every gang member in the country ringing your phone, every gang member in the country looking at your face. So, although I can't say that social media is responsible, but the, the wider range of sort of contact you get with everybody, or the quicker everybody hears about things, so it's more. The social media, I believe, is responsible for applying more peer pressure to the individuals because it makes everything instant to everybody. So the minute you do something, the whole world knows. So it's that that people are battling against and it's that that people go out and do insane things because they don't know who thinks they're an idiot. They don't know who knows what they've done. They don't know nothing. They go out and they think people laughing in the corner knows what's being posted. So they react to that. You know, so it, it has a, a fundamental effect on how people behave, but how people behave ultimately falls back down to their environment and their peers and their parenting. You can't blame the social media, but I suppose the social media has to be accountable by allowing sort of immediate publications of information rather than it going through a vetting process. Like if you put something up on Facebook, right, that has a copyright issue or a verbal issue, then straight away they take it down. But anything to do with gang violence, anything to do with beating, stabbings, cutting, shootings, they let you post it. So it's not the social media per se that is responsible, it's the people that are controlling the social media and what they allow to be publicized. Yeah. Right. Um, what would you say to people who would say, you know, there are loads of people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds that didn't turn to crime. Why should we give ex-offenders a chance uh, at life again? Why should they deserve a second chance? Right. I'll tell you why. Right. I'll tell you why. Um, simple fact. Because it is the state's responsibility, the state's responsibility to educate us all. Okay, so if they're not educating us on how to behave and how to conduct ourselves, then they're half responsible. Now, the reason why I say that is this, I've made a massive transition, right? And I've got to put it out there, and I'll put it out there because it's the truth, right? Now, the one thing that made me really turn to the life of legitimacy more than anything else on set was this book. Right, the chimp paradox by Professor Steve Peters. Now, what this what this book made me realise as a as a mature individual that I wasn't in control of myself. Right, because I allowed my limbic system of my brain, which is far stronger than my frontal lobe, to control my life because I wasn't aware of what them voices was. I thought the voices in my head was me. 
And I'd realized that it was a prehistoric survival mechanism that's implanted in every human being to survive. But because of my environment and where I was growing up, I was just exposed to things that kept me in that mindset. But if I was taught or educated on the mindfulness of my brain, then I would have learned what I've learned now at an early age. And now I actually talk to the voices in my head and say, what are you talking about? You end up in prison. Why would you want to go back to prison? And then the voices sort of say, yeah, you're right. You don't want to go back to prison. No, I don't want to go back to prison. So you sort of relax. Whereas before it was like, they're not thinking you're a cunt. You can't have it. Yeah, you're right. I'm not a cunt. I'm not going to have this one call me a cunt. They're, they're right, that's it. Right, I'm going to go and do it. Who is it? Right, so you know what? He might have a strap. He might have a knife. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put my vest on and I'll take a gun just in case. So it's just lunacy. It's just insanity of that mind that wants to do all the naughty stuff because everybody has them lunatic thoughts. They think, oh, I want to smash his face in, or I want to punch him, or I want to do this. And everybody has them thoughts, but their frontal lobe kicks in and they think, I can't be bothered. I'll go to prison. And in their head, they'll be saying to themselves, the fucking idiot, this person. And they'll walk away. Whereas me, I wasn't programmed to walk away from anything because I had to survive in the environment I was growing in. So education towards how our brain works would be a vital tool to use moving forward for people like myself. Because now I understand how my brain works, my ego can't get the better of me. You know, my emotions don't get the better of me because the consequences what I think about now are far greater than the gratification of pleasing people that don't love me. How important would you say it is to have rehabilitation in prisons to prevent offenders from reoffending? But listen, rehabilitation is key. The issues you have with the rehabilitation process and programs they have in prison, it doesn't work because the people doing the courses are doing it to get out or to get a DCAT or to get a CCAT. They've got no real intention of turning their lives around because they've got nothing said to believe in that they're going to have a better life being legitimate. Hence the reason why I'm doing what I do now, you know? On the back of that, why do you feel that the AP Foundation is such an important platform in giving reoffenders or ex-offenders a second chance at life? Because we've been there, we've seen it, we've done it, we've wore the t-shirt, we've got the videos, and we're living proof. Like normally, you've got gangsters talking about their stories from old washed up buildings and all old and falling apart because they've got no money. They've failed in life, you know? The oxymoron is it. They've become successful criminals but amounted to nothing. So with us, with us, with us, we've been there, seen it, done it, got the t-shirt, and basically we're here to let people know that it isn't worth it. Like I've handled and made millions of pounds, like, and there's other people that I know within the AP Foundation have earned a lot more than me. And people know who's earning money and who's doing what. So if we're telling people now, listen, I've got nothing but headache, dramas, prison, death, murder, violence every day every week all year no one would sign up to it like everybody just wants a quick fix to get out of the problems they're in 
So the reason why the AP Foundation is a, is a vehicle that can initiate change with, through rehabilitation is because we will do what we do as an organization because we can tap into individuals' personal qualities and attributes and that will make their life a lot better and make them understand who they are and where they can go and where they can end up because they're not going to look at us and think, you're, you're an idiot, you're skint, you've got no money because although we're liquid skin, we're materialistically wealthy, we're spiritually wealthy and we're family orientated wealthy. So everything that everybody yearns for from the street, right, is materialistic acquisition, right, family stability and an income coming in. Now, what I like to explain to the youngsters is this. This Christmas, I've been skint. The skintiest I've ever been. Well, I've never been more broke this Christmas than ever in my life. But, <laughs> this is what I said to the youngsters the other day when I was speaking to them, I'm skint, but I'm driving a 70,000 pound car. I live in a half a million pound house. My house is done up to a, 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 a standard that is exceptional. Okay, and the worst thing that can happen to me right now is a county court judgment and an eviction letter. That, that's it. That is it. A county court judgment and an eviction letter. And that's it. That is the worst that can happen to me. So me being skin and not having any liquid doesn't mean my life's over. Whereas on the road, when you're skin, your life is over. You've got nothing. At least with working, you've got a credit card, you've got an overdraft, you've got loans you can apply for, you've got stuff you can sell. You don't have to go back to prison. Do you understand? Whereas if you're on the street and you've got no money, you need to jeopardize your freedom to get some money. And that's it in a nutshell. So we can show that kids that have been, or the men even, that are going down the same road that I was on for four decades, well, three and a half decades, happily, risking my liberty every single day of my life for a price I couldn't put my finger on. I was prepared to stab, shoot and kill and go to prison for five years, for six months, one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, or even life. Look in the mirror and tell myself I'm sensible. That's the madness. You know? And that's the life that hundreds of thousands of these youngsters are living at the moment because they don't see the severity in their actions. And the reason why the AP Foundation would be surmountable in anything it does within the prison environment is because we've been there, seen it and done it. And now we're successful, upstanding members of society that are bringing up children and doing the right thing. You know, so that's it. If you could go back to your young self, what would you tell yourself? Go to university. Get to go college, go school, go college, go university and get a university degree and learn at least four to five languages. That's what I tell myself because that's what I encourage my daughters to do, you know, because with that education, you can get employed anywhere on the planet for a decent salary on the year. Minimum 50 grand as an interpreter, five different languages in any country in the world. Do you understand? A teacher, a British qualified teacher from university, 50 to 100,000 pounds in any country in the world. You become a headmistress or a deputy head in sports, academics or science, you want five, five to 700,000 pounds a year as a deputy or a head. Like, there's opportunities. 
just by reading a book, sitting in class and doing what's right. Like, and the simplicity of going to school, college and university, it gets funded for you in England. So you don't have to pay for it all. You can get it all for free and then go on to be very successful. Like 99.7% of the population. <laughs> Do you understand? Like it's only 0.2 or 0.3% of the population that repeat offenders. It's not that big a great of mass of people. So being a minority within society shows that being legitimate, going to school, college and university is the way forward. The issues are getting these kids to apply themselves. Now, why the AP Foundation can be more of an impact within the prison system is because we can say, look, 33 years I wasted. What did I get? I was a gangster in the papers. But I was a big gangster in the papers, yeah? But I was struggling to pay my mortgages. I was a big gangster, a big club owner, a big party, I was big everything. Premier League this, top gangster, um, Marbella this, and Costa del Sol gangster. So all the papers were writing stuff about me like I was the biggest gangster on the planet. So I'd achieved the goals that you need to achieve in that world. I was dealing with millions of pounds every year. But what did it amount to? Nothing but headache, stress, and prison. The last prison sentence, no, the last prison experience I had was 2014, 2013 to 2015. And that was when I was on remand for the four murders. You know, and that, that was the biggest wake up call for me, that last bit of um, remand sentence I'd done. And that was for the four murders. And I just thought, you know what, this is gonna go on forever and it can't happen. So. The AP Foundation, I believe, is the one vehicle with its multifaceted um, reach of individuals that have all been through the mill, that have all lived the life, that have all walked the path, and all come off it at different stages of their life. So the mentors and the ambassadors that the AP's got behind it is the, is the vessel that the society, as I know it, needs, because they need an incentive, these youngsters. Getting them to go down the job centre and get a normal job, they're not going to do that. But we can create a business mindset for them, get them to get a business education whilst they're in prison and plug them into the business world once they come out, then it's a win, 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 win. So we've got the business, sport and music. And we've got it all covered. So we've got the urban attributes to rehabilitation to engage with the youngsters in and out of prison. And through the AP Foundation, it is, it'll be a phenomenal vehicle. I know that you speak to young people all the time, but what would you say to young people who are thinking about going down the same path that you did? Well, I've done a post the other day. Um, and basically, um, can I just get some bits so I can show you? Go into prison, right? If you actually want to be the guy in prison and you want to be revered as the man and the most, one, of the, one of the most sensible people, then there's certain things you need to be prepared to do. So the first thing you need to be prepared to do to survive at a good level in prison where you do not get attacked, you get the maximum amount of respect and that you smoke your puff and have your drink and have whatever food you want, right? So the first thing you need to do is get yourself a bit of puff. 
right? So you get yourself a little bit of puff, right? So to keep doing a little bit of puff, and that's like just under an ounce, just say to speak, an ounce of puff. So that'll go up your bum. Now, that's for you to smoke and socialize. And then for you to fit in with all the reprobates on the gel, you need to trade with everybody in the gel. So everyone trades with class A drugs for phones and everything. So on top of that, up your bum, you have to have your class A drugs, right? So that's your class A drugs and your own personal bits. And then, and that's up your bum without a shadow of a doubt. And this is happening every day, right? And then on top of that, you've got to have your phone, right? So now you've got your phone, your puff, your personal bits, right? And then on top of that, you have your graph. So that's your class A, that's your white. And then you have your class A brown, right? And that's the size of the parcels you have. And that's the sort of shape they come in, bullet shapes, right? So that'd be half ounce of white, half ounce of brown, if not an ounce. An ounce of puff and your E's, your um, Valiums and all them sort of things to come down after your party, your phone. So all this sort of stuff has got to be in your bottom every day. Now, if you're a decent man, like I was in prison, <laughs> you've got to make sure you're sending money out. So you've got to have your, your money to send out to, your, to give to your missus on a visit. So imagine all of that, right? In and out your bum all day, every day, for however long you're doing. And that's just to be sensible. It's ludicrous. And it's happening. And it happens. And the reason why you've got to have it up your bum every day is so... When you get swagged out of a jail, you've got your bits when you get to another jail, so you survive. Do you understand? And you've got other levels. People that don't get involved in that side of things and the people that graft their ticket and get out. But the majority of people in prison are grafted into surviving there, you know? And that's the parcels that they have to think. So the first thing I say to kids is this, unless you're prepared, right, to shove all that stuff up your bum, get stabbed, fight, and not come home on time, right? Never get a D cat, never get a C cat. Don't make sense going to prison. Because unless you're a certain mindset, you'll get set about. And once you get set about, even the biggest gangsters get rushed in prison and get bullied and intimidated. Do you understand? So if you're not a major gangster, then you need to be very violent. Otherwise, people will, will fly against you. And that's how simple it is. So the first thing I'll tell anybody before they get involved in this sort of life, don't get involved in it unless you're prepared to go to prison forever. Simple. Don't get involved in it unless you're prepared to get stabbed and shot. Do you understand? I've been stabbed 23 times. Well, I've been stabbed and cut 23 times on every part of my body. I've got a scar. I've been shot in my head, my eye, my arm, my penis, and my leg. Okay? And I got, I got, a sh I got shot years ago with a little two-two in my back. But... I've been stabbed, I've been hit with axes, I've got hit with an axe there, it goes down there, you can't really see that faint line that goes around my hairline, but my hairline's messed up because of that scar that goes across here, the scar that comes down here. I've been stabbed in my heart, look, got stabbed in my heart, and just sort of turned at the vital moment, missed my heart by a Rizzler paper, um, but the bag that surrounds the heart got punctured and I was in hospital for a little while. Both my lungs have been collapsed, and unless you're prepared to take all this on the chin and get on with your life, don't get involved because they're coming, right? And it will be your friends and your allies that will come for you. 
once you become successful. And if you do not become successful, then they're going to use you so they become successful. So it's a, it's a lose, 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 lose all round, no matter what. And what I tell the kids is this. Don't be fooled by that guy that tells you that you're his family, that he loves you, and take this bit of grub and take this strap. I love you. I'm giving you a strap. Why the hell would you give a guy, a kid, I got my first gun at 13 years of age from a fully grown man. How? How can you look at that man and think he loves you when he's actually giving you a product to put you in prison? So what I tell the kids is this. If an older comes to you and he says, I love you, cuz. I love you, youngster. You're my youngster. I love you. Yeah. Just ask him this one question. If I get stopped with this gear, can I tell the police it's yours? Simple. And watch what he fucking says to you. Because he won't say, he won't say, yeah, tell the police he's mine. He's going to tell you, you better keep your mouth shut because snitches get stitches. How's that love? How is that love? Come on, man. So these are things the youngsters have got to sort of take on board and understand that is waiting for them. You've seen your fair share of violence. You've been stabbed multiple times and shot, as you just said. Yeah. And for those who have never experienced it and, you know, want to get into gangs and think it's cool and stuff like that, can you tell us what it's like to be stabbed and shot? Well, I can only be honest, right? Because I, I, I won't tell no lies, right? So it doesn't actually hurt, right? It doesn't actually hurt getting stabbed. There's nothing to fear getting stabbed. But what, what happens is this, right? You get stitches. You can't move, you can't cough, you can't laugh, you can't uh, poo, depending on where you get cut and stabbed. Right? And then you've got to deal with the mental thing and then the physical stuff. So I got shot in my eye. Right? So you've got, you got all this stuff that you've got to consider losing. Right? So I lost my eye. I lost one testicle. Right? I walked with a limp. I've got a plate in my leg with 16 pins in it. And I'm disabled. Right, because that was what I earned on the road. So what what people will get is what's the word? It's like it's just it's just damage, like you know. And the thing they don't get, or the thing they don't see, is what's coming. So you get stabbed, don't hurt, but then getting better. Right, and then dealing with people thinking you're pussy because you've been stabbed or cut, and then you've got to retaliate. You know, so the actual stabbing and shooting didn't hurt, but it's the effects that the stabbing and shooting has after. Like, I was insane, so I actually wanted to be stabbed. I wanted to be shot. I wanted to be a cat. Eh? I wanted to have this scar down my face. I wanted to carry guns. I wanted to be a gangster. That's what I wanted. I accepted that with open arms. So what I tell the kids is this: Don't pretend that you want this life. Actually, no, because now I've been through the stabbing, shooting, beatings, prison. Ah, <laughs> oh, I would never have signed up for this. I would never have signed up for it if I knew that it was all going to happen. I would never have signed up for it. So the kids can take a little bit of solace from the fact that it, it just it ain't worth it. And the madness about it is it will happen, if not to you, to those around you. And it's going to happen. So. Maybe you, not, you might not get life, but your best mate, brother, or cousin will. You might not get 10 years, but your best mate, mother, sister, cousin, dad, or auntie might. And don't get it twisted. My pal's mum, yeah, she, none of us got a, a, a sentence. 
but this one woman, she had nothing to do with the case, but she got six years because she had the dry cleaners. She, someone walked in and said, oh, can you give your son this number for me? She said, yeah, not a problem. She's been passing numbers on for her son forever. She's had a shop, a bakery, and a, and a dry cleaners. In the dry cleaners, someone walked in, give her a number to give to her son. She gave the number to her son because she didn't want to give evidence in the doc. She got six years. A fully grown grandmother got six years, right, in 2015. Right. And that's what these kids are doing. You know, they're actually lining themselves up. They're strategically aligning their whole family and everybody they love for a life of destruction, deprivation, depression, sadness, and prison. Right. Thank you so much, Marvin. That was such a fantastic interview. Thank you. Well, I'd just like to be as honest as I can, because it's real, isn't it? You can't dress it up to these youngsters. Like, they don't get it. They really don't get it. And I'm not anything different to the kids, but I wanted everything to happen to me and I was prepared for it and I was prepared to take it all on the chin. So I wasn't affected mentally. I never got depressed and turned to drink and drugs because it was a life's choice that I made. So the kids have got to be aware and mindful of the choices they're making because the detrimental effects of their choice making will affect them and their parents and their siblings forever. You know, like, I've got friends in prison that are never getting out. 30 years of age, they're never getting out of prison. They're gonna die in prison. They've got three life sentences. I've got, I've got another kid who's got three 45 year sentences recommended. I've got another kid who's got two 45 year sentences. I've got a kid that's got 35 years recommended. Like, why? Why? Because they wanna shoot people, because they wanna stab people for what? Money when you can earn 10 times more money legitimate than you can as a criminal. And that's the one thing that I've learned. I was programmed and brainwashed into believing that you don't make more money working as you do on the street. So I believed it until I got shot five times. And then after that shooting, the transition, the meetings that I had with people and what I was gonna to do to make myself survive, I sort of realised that all the people I was talking to were multi-multi-millionaires who have never been in trouble with the police before in their life. So I just asked for a bit of help and I got it. And now I do things in a way where I can help disadvantaged kids not make the same or similar mistakes that I made, you know, because that is all it is, a mistake. It is all a mistake, get off the road, it ain't worth it. And what I'd like to add is that Every young man on the road, right? And this is what I do. I, got, I went into prison. I'll tell you this one story, it's like an analogy. I went into prison one day to speak to these kids. And all sitting there like they're bad men. Yeah, my, my people on road, bro. My, this is my people on road. We're big, we're doing this, we're doing that. We're moving, we're flossing, we're growing. We've got cars, we've got watches, we've got everything. We're big on the road. I was like, yeah. I was like, well, I want you guys to be honest with me, right? There's five of us in the room. I said, right, within two seconds, I want you to put your hands up, right? So if your pals have sent you any money this week, put your hand up. No hands go up. I say, put your hands up if your mum and your missus sent you money this week. All the hands go up. So I say, okay. I said, now I can guarantee that most of you are in here now, right, for your friends or being involved with your friends. Put your hand up if you've got more than five friends. So all the hands go up. All the hands go up. I said, right, you've got more than five friends. So let's just break it down to five friends. Right, you've got... Five friends on the road that are the sickest things since sliced bread, so you just told me. Now, your five friends are not able or even prepared to give you 
you, their brethren that's sitting in prison right now, one pound each a day to send you 25 pound a week. They're not prepared to do that. But yet you'll sit in this prison for as long as it takes for these people and you think they're your friends. You know, and that was just what I wanted to put out there because the kids don't realize they're sitting in there for people that will not do nothing for them. And they're going to come out and they're going to get given a gun or they're going to get given money or they're going to get given drugs to get on their feet. <clears throat> ultimately, they're going to make a mistake and end up back in prison. You know, because the people that have given them the promise do not give a rat's ass about them. All they want them there for is when something goes pear-shaped, they can make a phone call, come and take care of this from the youngster. Yes, you're my family. You love me. When I go out of jail, you give me a couple of grand. Of course I'll do it for you. And then that's it, back in jail. Getting their bits of money every couple of months and a couple of parcels here, there and everywhere. And then the boys won't even bring the parcels into the jail. They'll say, we'll give it to your bird. Get your bird to bring it in. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, that's your baby, mum. They're telling you, you've got to get to bring, and you're risking your life. You're in here for murder. You're in here for stabbing. You're in here for robbing other people. But these people are not even prepared to jeopardise six months of their life to bring you a bit of pub. Come on. It's a joke. It's a joke. So this is why we need to be in prison. This is why AP need to be moving forward because that vehicle is like that icebreaker, the, 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 the bell ringer, you know? And we know everybody from every walk of life, from the bottom of the spectrum to the top of the spectrum, just me and Andrew combined, just me and him know everybody in the criminal fraternity, at one, one level and the top, all the way through. And the ones that Andy won't know, I will know. And the ones that I know, Andy won't know, I know. I know, and you know, and then together we know everyone. So it's obvious that I was used for a lot of violence growing up as a kid. So me sitting down talking to another younger version of me is the only person that I would have listened to as, an old, as a youngster. No one could have come in my company apart from another version of me because that's all I was interested in listening to, you know, but none of them were big enough or strong enough or brave enough to go and tell the kids that they was a failure where I am. I failed. Not only did I fail myself as a human being, I failed my children. Yeah, I sat in prison for years just thinking that them having money on the art is the answer. That them having the PlayStations is the answer. Them having a the holiday is the answer. And you realise how much they needed their dad and how much of an impact me being in prison had on their lives. So knowing that now as a 50-year-old father, I would advise any youngster, mate, to think again, you know, because these people that are giving you these bits, these people that are giving you this confidence, these people that are giving you these weapons, are scumbags, mate. And they're weak people that are not prepared to do what you do. And that's why you do what they won't do. And that's why you end up in prison. And that's why you are their guy. Don't be everybody's benefit, because that's all I was. I was a fantastic man on the road because I was everyone's benefit. The minute I got shot and I couldn't walk, no one come to see me in hospital. No one come to see me apart from five of my friends and my family. So keep your circle tight, small, and very family orientated. You know? The clear and simple messages, and that's all we can say to these youngsters, you know? And it's, it's, it's what's needed, right? So rehabilitation will work with the right teams, with the right organization and with the right incentives you know because you can talk about rehabilitation all day long but unless you've got the right incentive for these kids to engage with then they're gone they're not interested they're not interested 
So the music, media, sport, we've got that. We've got it. Football, boxing, MMA, we've got avenues for them. Professional, amateur. Music, we've got avenues for them. Professional, amateur. You know? And the football, professional, amateur. When they've got the skills and they're prepared to play their part, then they've got avenues out. So that's why the AP Foundation, I believe, is the vehicle towards change and rehabilitation to the disadvantaged young men and women of this country.